Well, I want you to grab a Bible. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have, we have been in a series where we've been calling Man Up for the last several weeks. And we've been talking about what does it mean to be a godly man? What is, what is godly masculinity? And what I want to do today, church, is I want to make the case that at the heart of being a man is love. Love for God and love for one another. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read the love chapter, what is often called the love chapter. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to read the entire chapter. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but but these three, the greatest of these is love. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Okay, so raise your hand if you've heard that read at a wedding. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like anytime somebody reads that in public, you start looking around for all the tuxedos and, and long, long dresses that are, uh, you know, because we've, we've had it, we've read it so many times or heard it so many times read at, at a wedding. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's the reason why I think a lot of us are familiar with it because we've been to a lot of weddings. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. I think marriage is a great application for this chapter. But the thing that I want you all to see is really marriage is not the context for why Paul wrote the chapter. That was not his intention for, for why he wrote it. The reason why he wrote this chapter is because the Corinthian Christians struggled loving each other. They really did. And what he's doing in this chapter is he's admonishing them, he's encouraging them, he's trying to equip them to love. This church, you know, the Corinthian church was, they, these folks were very religious. They were very uh, devout. They had the gospel, they had giftedness, as you can see from chapter 12. Uh, they were very passionate, they were very zealous. But the one thing that they lacked was love. And so what the apostle Paul is doing, and he's, he's He's trying to be very gentle about this, but he's saying love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. What he's really saying is you're not being very patient with each other. You're not being very kind to each other. 
You know, you're being envious. You're being, you're being boastful. And so it's fascinating as you read the entire letter, he begins the letter talking about all of the divisions within this church. There are all these groups kind of rivaling one another and it's evident that they are not loving each other. And then we get to the very end of the, of the letter and he, and he kind of gives them this, this final shot. And it's this, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, it's, it's kind of the last exhortation that he gives them. And it happens to be our theme verse for this series where, where he says this, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then he says this, let all you do be done in love. So he started the letter talking about loving and not being you know, seeing yourselves in, in these cliques and groups. He, he ends it talking about love. And then in the middle of it, he devotes an entire chapter to what it means to love. Now, I don't know if you're getting the message, but this church is struggling with love. And I think, I think that is a, a great insight for us. So, so this chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 is a charge that he gives to the men. He wants all of the men to rise up within this Corinthian church and change the culture of that church and to change it through love. That's his call for them. And church, that's the call for us. Men, that is the call for us. That if you wanna know what masculinity is, if you wanna know what a godly man really is, at the heart of a godly man is love. That's what he's saying. And that's his encouragement and admonishment to us. Now, what I know as a man is we need, we need visuals on this. We need to see this. We know we're being exhortated to do this, but we need to see it firsthand. What I want to do is I want to show you a video that I ran across this week, and it illustrates beautifully the love of a man. And, um, and what you're going to see, this is a video clip from the 1992 uh, Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona. There's a, there was a, a runner in that race from Great Britain named Derek Redman. And this man has trained four years to win gold in the 400 meter race. He's, he's about three fourths of the way through the race and his hamstring snaps. He goes to the ground, writhing in pain. And what you're gonna see in the video is you're gonna see Derek Redman get back up and finish the race. But I want you to see, I want you to look for the love of a man in this video. Watch the screen behind me.
It's a great clip, isn't it? That's Derek Redman's dad. And he had, he had to fight through several layers of security uh, to do that. But that's, that's the strength of a man. That is, that is, that is the love that, that God has called us as men to demonstrate. And isn't it interesting? Isn't that how God relates to us that when we fall down, that he picks us up and loves us in that way, in the same way? So, so my question is this, how do we become that? As men, how does, how does that kind of love become a reality in our life, become a part of really who we are? Well, that's what I want us to talk about today. What, what the Apostle Paul does in, in chapter 13 is he shows us how that becomes a reality. As he's challenging, as he's challenging this church to, to love one another, what he does is he points us to two things specifically. He points us first to the priority of love. And then he points us to the practice of love. And that's what I want us to look at today. So let's, let's look at the, the priority of love and let's, let's see what he says about this in this quest to become godly men. He's, he, uh, he, he really shows us in verses one through three, you could kind of categorize that first paragraph this way. There's nothing more important than love. That's what he's gonna say. Let's walk through it. Look at verse one. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a, I, I'm, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, what is he saying? You have to kind of understand the city of Corinth to understand this phrase. We all know that Las Vegas is the city of casinos, right? That's where you go to gamble, all right? Well, Corinth was like Las Vegas, except in the religious sector. So, so just as there are so many casinos in Las Vegas, there were just so many religious pagan temples in the city of Corinth. And what the people would do, these Corinthian people would put on these long robes. They would, they would walk around their temples and, and they had these symbols and marinettes and they would, they would do, they would chant to the gods and they would recite all of these incantations to the gods. And their goal was to manipulate the gods to give them protection, to give them provision, to give them blessing, and to give them a happy life. And it was very just self-focused and self-absorbed. It was all about trying to tell the gods what, what they needed to do for them. And you can only imagine when they were having these kind of festivals and these kind of demonstrations, you can only imagine the noise from that. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 1 is he's saying that, that, he's basically saying this, you can recite all the Bible verses that you want. You can be eloquent in your prayer life. But if you don't love, it really doesn't matter. You just sound like to God a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. That's what it sounds like to God. In, in other words, nothing you say really matters if you don't love. That's what he's saying. Look at verse two. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries, and basically if I have all knowledge. Now, what is he talking about here? He's just talking about, he's just talking about if you score a 1600 on the SAT, if you have a 4.5 GPA, if you're a Rhodes Scholar, it doesn't really matter if you lack love. In, in other words, if, if I don't have love in my life, Nothing I know matters. It just doesn't. That's how important love is. That's what he's saying. Look at the next one. If I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
He's talking about belief. He's talking about the fact that a lot of men think that being a Christian is just simply believing certain things, certain intellectual truths, certain doctrinal facts about God, that that's what it means to be a Christian. And, the, and what, they, what men will say to me is they'll say, well, you know, I believe that in Jesus. And what they don't understand is this, even the devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes Jesus is the son of God, but you're not gonna see the devil in heaven, right? And so the issue is not do you believe in him, Men, the issue is, do you love him? The issue is, has the love of God been born in your heart? And it, it, it doesn't matter if you have all of this belief and you have a system of belief. If you lack love, then that, that's really worthless. It, it means nothing. That's what he's saying. Look at the next verse, verse three. If I give all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I I gain nothing. Now, what, what's he talking about here? I think, I think specifically what he's talking about here is just being a giving person, being a charitable person. Uh, there are a lot of people that give and they think that because they give, that that scores points with God. And what we don't realize is people will give for a lot of different reasons. People will give to look good. People will give to manipulate, to manipulate others, right? It's easy for me to say. Uh, people do that. People give to get what they want. And so the, so the question is, not giving, the question is, is love driving your motive for giving? You can give everything away. You can give your body up to the flames in dying for Jesus. But if you don't love, it doesn't matter. So what he's saying is this. You know, if you're going to kind of summarize all of this up, what he's saying is this. There's nothing more important, men, than living a life of love. Nothing. You know, when I do funerals, and, and we're going to eulogize a dad, a husband, we're going to eulogize a man, we're not going to talk about all of his accomplishments. We're not going to talk about all the money that he earned. We're not going to talk about, you know, how much TV he watched. What we're going to talk about is his expressions of love to his family, to his friends. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. And what he's saying here is this. You can speak like an order and you can have faith of a miracle worker and you can have the generosity of a philanthropist and, and you can have the knowledge of a genius. But if you don't love, it means nothing. It just goes up in smoke. That's what he's talking about. That's how important love is. Now, you see this all the way through scripture. So this is not, this is not just something new in 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, we got to deal with love. You see this all the way through scripture. If you're reading the Bible through the year, you're going you're gonna to know that the entire storyline of scripture is God loving his people. And then God in turn calling his people to love one another. And then they would go to Jesus in the Gospels and ask them, what's the greatest commandment? And he would say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He would say this, he would say, all of the law, all of the commandments of God and everything written in the prophets, the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. In other words, hang on what it means to love. And I think today men are struggling because they, they're not choosing to love. That's what I think. 
And so you see the priority of it right here. Now let's, let me just kind of dig down on this a little bit different because hopefully this, this will give you a little bit more perspective on this. Because God is love, 1 John tells us that, because God is love, church, the most important lesson you can learn is to love. Now let that sink in for a minute. God is love. So the one thing he wants us to learn as we're walking on the earth is to love, to learn how to do it. And it is hard. Can I get an amen to that? It's really hard. You know why it's hard? Because we're, we're sinful. We have a sinful nature within us. And so what that means is it means that we're slow to change. It means we're stubborn. It means we get fixed in our habits and our patterns. And you know, a lot of times we just don't feel like loving. That's why God gives us an entire lifetime for the most part, different, different lifetimes, obviously, but he gives us an entire lifetime to learn how to love. That's how important it is. Let me put it to you this way. What is it that's going to make heaven heaven? Love. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. It's not merely the fact that Satan will be dealt with forever. He will be. That's great news. It's not merely the fact that sin is going to be dealt with forever. That's great news. That's, that's even better news, right? It's not merely the fact that God's going to create a new heaven and new earth. What, what really makes heaven heaven is the fact that we will experience tangibly the love of God every single moment of eternity. And you and I will be perfected in love. Think about that, church. Think about community a community of people loving each other under the love of God. That is what's going to make heaven heaven. And the thing that I would say to men right now is what God is doing in you right now is he's training you and me in how to love other people. And he gives us a spouse and he gives us kids and he gives us coworkers. He gives us a church family and he gives us a community. And what that is, is the classroom where you and I learn how to love. You know, May is the open season for uh, graduate open houses and those kind of things. So you, you've probably been making your rounds. I've been obviously making mine as well. And, and it's interesting because... Um, Many of the high school graduates are going on to college. And so really high school, if you think about it, is prep school for college. The purpose of high school is to get you ready for that, that next step in your education, whether it's tech school or college or whatever. Think of it this way, church. Life is prep school for heaven. And class is in session. And guess how God teaches us to love? Just guess by putting difficult people across your path. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, because you don't, you don't really learn to love by loving people that are easy to love. So what, what God does is he just brings people across your path because he's trying to grow you. He's trying to change you. He's getting you ready for eternity. He's getting you ready for heaven. And I think a lot of men struggle with this because, they, because what happens is life can be especially as a father, as a husband, you know, you're working, you're providing for your family. Life can get incredibly ordinary and mundane and tedious. And so what happens with men is they begin to get restless. They begin to get anxious and they begin to 
go through this midlife crisis kind of thing where they feel like, you know what, all I'm doing is working and providing and taking care of my family and solving problems. This is getting tedious and ordinary and mundane. I, I just want to have fun. I, I just want to go back to my, you know, my early 20s and have fun. And men go into this crisis mode of, you know, midlife struggle. And what I want to share with you, men, is this, that God is in the ordinary, that God is in the mundane. He is in the tedious. And it's in that where we're learning how to love, we're learning how to trust God and, and love other people. That's what he's teaching us. And it seems like you're not getting, you know, going anywhere. It seems like you're spinning your wheels. And, and so you don't need to get restless. What you need, you need to lean into the love of God. Because what he's doing is he's growing you and he's getting you ready for what you are really, really after. And so God is all, using all of those things, the ordinary things. Most of life is just ordinary, mundane kind of stuff. And it's learning to love in the midst of that. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've seen the movie Free Solo. Free Solo is a, a documentary about a, a man named Tom Honnold. And Tom, it's the documentary is about his quest to free solo El Capitan in, in California. So if you don't know what El Cap is, uh, it is um, a mountain 3,000 feet high. It is, it is straight up. And so Tom's goal and what this movie, what this documentary is about, is about his desire to climb it without a rope, without a safety net, all by himself, straight up, just free. You guys checking with me on that? So in other words, the drama of this is if he makes one mistake, one slip, he's dead. He's dead. He's going to die. And that's what the movie's about. Now, you would think that this guy is a thrill seeker. You would think that he is an adrenaline junkie, that he's looking for the next thrill, the next buzz, the next whatever. That's not the case at all. Because what the documentary is about, it's about how he spends weeks and months practicing the climb that he's going to do without a safety rope and without a harness. And so every day he goes up and he's got a, he's got a rope and he practices climbing it. And it's incredibly tedious. It's incredibly ordinary. It's incredibly mundane. And, and most of the time what happens is, well, every time he practiced it, he slips and falls and the rope catches him. And then he says, okay, I learned one way not to go up the mountain. And I think that it's a great illustration of so many of our lives. We, we, we get kind of lost in the ordinariness of it. The getting up and going to work, the taking care of kids, the fixing things around the house, the working 60 hours a week, you know, coming home exhausted. We get lost in that. But church, listen, God is in that and he's teaching us how to love. He is in the ordinary does that make sense? So that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about the priority that God has for you and for me to learn how to love. And so nothing I say matters, nothing I know matters, nothing I give matters, nothing I believe matters if I don't love. Now look at, look at the second part of this. Look at the practice of love. That's verses four through eight. He begins to get, he gets really practical with just the practice of this, all right? Now, before we look at this, let me explain something. Um, we need to define what love is 
Because do you know, wouldn't you agree that love is the most overused word in the English language? Wouldn't you agree with that? Do you guys realize how many times we use the word love? I mean, I love using the word love. I really do. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We use it to describe so many different things, uh, different affections, different emotions. I love the cults. I love chili dogs at Portillo's. I love lying on the beach, right? We use love so many ways. What does it really mean? What does it mean to love? In Greek, there are four different words for love. In English, we got one. And so we just use it to describe everything. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on what love is. Love, first and foremost, is a command. When you think about love, it's a command. God has commanded us to love. And so you see this in I mean, I could have picked a hundred verses for this, but 2 John 6, he says this, and this is love, we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And so what is he saying? He's saying, really, love for God is walking in obedience to commands that he gives us. And the command that he gives us is to love God and love other people. You see that? So first and foremost, love is a command. I I would say the other thing about love is that love is a choice that we make. Love is a choice that we make. So we can choose to love or we can choose not to love. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Paul says, pursue love. He's exhorting us to pursue it, to chase after it, to go after it, to let love be our main focus to let love be our, our highest goal. He wants us to pursue love. That means we can pursue it. We can choose it. Now, this blows a myth in the culture right out of the water. And you know what that myth is? That love is uncontrollable. You guys know what I'm saying here? It's like I saw her for the first time and I just fell in love. Like I fell into a ditch. You know what I mean? And it was just something came over me. Help, I've fallen in love and I can't get up. You know what I mean? It's, it's that. It's, it's uncontrollable. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had people tell me over 22 years of ministry, they will, they will justify separation and divorce with the words, I just, I just don't feel love for them anymore. I, I've lost that love and feeling. I've lost all my feelings for them. When in reality, what, what they really need to say is, let's, let's just be honest about it since love is a choice. Let's just say it like it is. Well, I'm just choosing not to love my spouse anymore because that is more accurate. How many of you have cared for a sick child, gotten up in the middle of the night and you cared for a sick child in the middle of the night? Do you know what that is? That's called love. Did you feel like doing that? No, you did it, but that's love. How many of you have been patient with a grumpy spouse? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's love. Somebody, you know, somebody asked me, um, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? And I said, no, I just usually let her sleep. So that's how that works. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell her I said that. She's in children's ministry right now. So uh, shh, keep it quiet. Do you know what that is? That's love. That's what it is. That's love. Love is a choice. Love is a command. I, I would say too, love is a conduct. It's a way of relating in a way that shows you care. Does that make sense? And then, and then what he's going to do in verses 4 through 8 is he's going to show us the conduct of love. 
He's going to equip us. He's going to show us how to do this. So let's just kind of, let's just walk through it. Look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. All right? Let's just focus on that for a minute. Men, I kind of want you to just keep score, see how you're doing on this. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. What, you know, when you talk about patience, patience, patience is really being able to lovingly wait in difficult circumstances. That's patience. Being able to wait in difficult circumstances in a loving way. So love and kindness actually go together because kindness is when you're really loving towards the people who are causing the difficult circumstances in your life, right? So that's love and, and kindness. So he says, love is patient, love is kind. Now church, can I just be honest with you? I really struggle in this. I, um, I'm 0 for 1 here, or I'm 0 for 2, let me just say that, because I really struggle with it. And it's most, one of the areas where I struggle is in driving. So when I start driving and people are in front of me, I think I automatically interpret that as they're beating me, okay? And so what do you have to do? I've got to pass them. I need to pass them. Luann's asking me, Scott, why are you passing them right now? And I say, honey, they're in front of me. I need to get in front of them. That's why I'm passing them. And so I will tell people that I am an aggressive driver, which is really code for God is trying to grow my patience. I need to learn because I'm not very patient. All right. How are you in this? And when it comes to kindness, all right, notice, notice what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. Love doesn't envy or boast. Now, what is envy? Envy is feelings of resentment that you have towards someone else because they have some advantage over you that you want. That's envy. So it could be social status. It could be social media status. It could be achievements like athletic ability or academic ability. It could be wealth. It could be anything. And you're mad because they have that advantage and you don't. That's envy. And what love says is, love says, I, I'm not going to be mad because I know that God's given me everything I need. See, that's love. And, and, then, and then he says, love is, doesn't envy or boast. Boasting is when you realize that you have the advantage over someone else, and then you let them know about it, as if you're the source of the advantage. That's boasting. You don't want to boast, because that's pride. And um, yeah, you don't want to do that. So, so love Love just says, you know what? I'm not going to boast. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the grace of God. That's what I'm going to boast in. All right, so love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. Love is, is not, it is not arrogant or rude. Now, this is pretty simple. Arrogant is, I think I'm better than everybody else. That's arrogance. Okay, rudeness is treating everybody else like I'm better than them. So you see how those two go together? And so that's, that's arrogance. I, I'm better, I'm better than, than everybody. I'm better than every, everybody else. Men, when you walk into your house at the end of a workday, do you kind of feel like you're the center of that universe there? Because that's, that's arrogance. You know, when you kind of walk in with that kind of attitude. Notice, what, notice the next one. He says this, it doesn't insist on its own way. Now, Burger King makes the promise that we can have it our own way, all right? Don't believe it, not even there. But uh, 
Um, but yeah, do you always have to have your own way? Do you have to have the last word all the time just to prove your position? You see? See, love, love basically says, I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to have the last word. It's, it's not about me. That's what, that's what love says. He says this, love is not irritable or resentful. Now, I like how the, the NIV puts that, love is not easily angered for irritable. Now, what is anger? Anger is, anger comes from when we've been wounded, when we've been hurt, when we've been disappointed, and we've not dealt with it. So we're hurting, we're wounded, and we're not dealing with it, and we're just living life with a wound in our hearts. So it's kind of like, what happens when you cut your finger? What happens when you do that all day long? Every time you touch something, your finger's like, ow, that hurts. I mean, it's like a million hurts every day. Somebody bumps into you, it's like, ouch. And so what, what it means to be easily angered is as people bump into you and you've got this disappointment, you've got this hurt, you've been betrayed, you've not dealt with it, what do you do? You get angry. You get angry at other people because you're, you're, you're resentful. And I think that's, that's at the heart of what, um, what he's talking about here. Uh, look at verse 6. He says this. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, I like the, I like the NIV translation a little bit better. It's a little bit smoother, smoother because in the NIV it says it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Now, here's the question, men. Do you keep a ledger on everything your wife does wrong? Do you make a mental note of that, of all the things that your kids do wrong? And, and, and then what do you do with that ledger? What do you do with it? When someone confronts you with your wrong, what do you do? You pull that ledger out and you, you get on the offensive and you attack them. I, 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 I tell you, I can't tell you how many times in a counseling situation where a spouse will come in and I mean, they have got a litany of record of wrongs that they are keeping. And what it does is it, it's toxic to the relationship because what you're doing is you're living in the past and you're using their wrongs to justify your wrongs, to minimize your wrongs. And it just starts getting, getting the marriage in a deficit relationship. So what do you need to do with that? Well, what you need to do with it is you need to deal with that. You need to deal with the ledger. You need to let go of the ledger. Now, Matthew 18, this is really important, church. When I say let go of the ledger, I'm not talking about minimizing the hurt that's been done to you or the wrong that's been done to you. I'm not talking about that. Matthew 18 tells us to go to the person that has wronged us and talk to them about it. Basically, gently, lovingly, and in the right way. So we're not, we're not just throwing this ledger away. We need to deal with it, but, but there's, a, there's a point where you have to let it go. Uh, in other words, what causes a lot of problems in a marriage is when the husband and wife are fighting, they're not getting hysterical, they're getting historical, you know what I mean? And they're keeping, they're keeping that list. So you gotta, deal, you gotta deal with the list. Here's the last one that we'll, that we'll kind of look at. He says this, verse seven, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Boy, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? 
In other words, I think what he's trying to say there is love never gives up. In your marriage, with your kids, in a relationship, a friendship, it just doesn't give up. Because you know what? God didn't give up with us. He, he bore those things. He endured all those things. He believes the best about those things in us. Now, man, let me just ask you, how you doing with this? Yeah, I think I'm about 35% here. I, I don't think I'm scoring too great. But how are you doing with all of this? This is a pretty high standard, isn't it? And I think the question becomes, how, does, how, can, we, how can we be loving like this? Like, what do we need to do? Would it be that, should I just run off a copy of this and give you a copy to put on your mirror in your bathroom so you could read it every morning? Would that help? That, that probably would help. That would probably be great. But that's, that's not where I want to go today. Would it be helpful that, you know, that you picked out one of these and you just started praying about it and asking God to really help you to be more patient? Uh, that, that would help. That, that would be great. But that's not where I want to go this morning. I, I think that there's something going on in this passage that I think we need to kind of look back at it one more time and see it in a different light. I think the question is this, how does the list that Paul lays out for us, how does that become a part of us every day? That's the question. And I think, I think there's an interesting answer to this. I think what Paul is doing in this passage, church, is he's describing love. He's describing what it looks like for you and me to relate to one another. He's giving us principles of love. I, I definitely think that. But I think at another level, he's doing something else. Because what he does in this is he personifies love. He personifies it. I think what he's doing here is he is describing, he's depicting love as a person. He's painting love as if it were a person. See, if this is just a list of principles, if this is just how you and I need to relate to one another, then he would have said in the chapter, if you want to be loving, you need to do those things. He doesn't say that. So that lends me to believe that he's, he's got something else going on here. And I think what he's doing is he's pointing to a person in particular. I think as he is describing the principles of love on a deeper level, he's pointing us to someone even greater. Think of it this way. We really don't learn to love by first trying to love. We don't really, we don't learn to love by first trying it. Do you know how we learn to love? We learn to love by letting someone else love us. That's where love in us begins. And so who was the first people in your life that loved you? Think about it. Probably your parents. For most of us, it was our parents. They were the first people that loved us. They changed us. They took care of us. They fed us. They protected us. They provided us. They did all of those things. They loved on us. They hugged on us. They oohed and awed over us. They did, they did all of that stuff. In other words, we were loved first. And then from that, we start loving others. In other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, that we can't just simply be loving by following a list. That's not the secret. I think the secret is this, that we, that we learn to love by tapping into the love of someone who, whose love is even greater, who's loved us from the very beginning. And who do you think that person is? It's Jesus, isn't it? 
You know what I think he's doing in this? I think he's describing Jesus. I think he's describing God's love for you and for me. That's why the standard is so high. That's why this chapter is so beautiful. I think he has in mind to point us to the love of our Savior. I remember when I was in youth group in high school, and my, my youth pastor used to say, you could take, you could take the, word, the word love out of verses 4 through 8 and replace it with Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't vote. I thought, man, that is, that, is really, that is really cool. I mean, think about, think about how love is patient when Jesus was hanging on the cross. You know what patience is? It's another word for it is long-suffering. Think about how Jesus suffered long for you and for me. Think about the kindness of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross and he tells them, you know, he prays to, to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is kindness. Think about how the love of Jesus didn't insist on its own way. Where Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, Father, but your will be done. You know what that is? That's love. Think about how Jesus endured all things. He's hanging on the cross. He's made it all the way through. And then he cries out, it is finished. I've borne all things. I've endured all things. I guess what I'm just trying to say to right now is this. No one loves you more than Jesus. No one loves you perfectly like this than Jesus. And it's when you and I reflect on that love, put our trust in that love, devote our life to that love, we connect with that love, that that kind of love starts flowing through us to other people. And he that began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. Men, this is what we need. This is what our culture needs. This is what our schools need. This is what our businesses, they need to see. We need to see men rising up and demonstrating this kind of love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, when we, we read through this incredible chapter, we're convicted and we are reminded in so many ways of how we fall short, where we're impatient and where we're unkind and sometimes envious and sometimes boastful and sometimes just relying on ourselves and insisting on our own way. But I thank you that you gave your son and he gave himself for us and he loved us in this way that we need to work at our love but we need to be mindful that our loving really flows from recognizing the love that you have for us so God I just pray for the men in our church I pray that you would break down the barriers the fears the insecurities the anxieties even the guilt and the shame of the past that hinders us from really loving others, loving our families and loving our spouse, loving in our church. And so God, would you, would you allow your love to be born into our hearts? 
would you show us your love afresh and anew? And God, I pray that our church, our congregation here at Stones, God, that we would be known for our love. And so thank you that you are in the ordinary. God, thank you you are in the tedious. You are all over the mundane. You understood what that's like. And so God, I just pray that you would show us that you are in that and you are glorified in it. And so God, I thank you and praise you. And we love you today. And all of God's people said,